Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We pick up today in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they had come back to the disciples, they saw that a large crowd was around them, and some of the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and he said, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he stiffens out. It's like a grand mole seizure. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them. He said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, it says, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus jumped back in astonishment, freaked out by a demon, right? No, it doesn't say that. Verse 21 says, so he asked the father, how long has this been happening? The kid's rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth, stiffening out. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, oh, I'm afraid there's a demon in it. He just goes, how long has this been going on? To be able to just keep the presence of mind even. Have any of you been exposed to someone with a demon? Do they do nice things for the host person? No. And here, Jesus, instead of freaking out, he just like turns to the father. So how long has this been going on? Kid's still rolling around over there. The father says to him, from his childhood, he's often thrown himself both into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, in Hebrew, if you want to take a question or, or make a statement or make that statement into a question, it's the same exact words in the same order. It's just you change your inflection. We do this similar thing in English. He's saying, if you can do anything, and Jesus answers, if you can, in Hebrew, all you have to do is raise the last note of the sentence, like, can? Like, huh? Like, of course. And Jesus, I love this. He says to him, all things are possible to him who believes. What's going on with the boy all this time? They're talking. And he's still rolling around, stiffening out, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus is talking to the father. You, you think, but Jesus, the one, the problem is the boy. But see, sometimes Jesus points out to me, there are other problems in the circumstance of life that we think the most important issue should be well, the kid rolling around, stiffening out, has a demon, been doing this since childhood. But the Lord doesn't turn his attention to the boy. Who's he turn his attention to? To the father. He says to the father, if you can, he says, listen, all things are possible to him who believes. We have something we need to address here, and it's not the boy, it's your faith. To the father, he's like, your faith is what we need to talk about. All things are possible to him who believes. And the father's answer, I love. 
The father says to him immediately, he cries out to Jesus, he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. What's Jesus going to do? The guy says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that there was a crowd rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to them, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And so after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, the demon came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. I mean, he goes through these convulsions, the demon's screaming, and then the kid just looks like he's passed out. He's dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up. And when he had come into the house, the disciples said to Jesus privately, why is it that we could not cast out this demon? Now, had they cast out demons in his name before? Yes. They came back rejoicing. Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Man, your name is powerful. But they couldn't get rid of this demon. Why? Jesus said the answer to them, verse 29, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, my mind automatically went, wait, isn't it prayer and fasting? Because I remember reading that in this story, but it's not this account. That's Matthew. And Matthew's gospel is when the Lord said to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Well, when was he praying and fasting? He told them, you guys couldn't do it because this kind needs prayer and fasting to get rid of. And they're like, oh, note to self, super bad demon. What do you got to do? Pray and fast. When was Jesus praying and fasting? Where was he just before he got here? He's up on the mount being strengthened by Moses and Elijah. And what do you think he was doing up there before Moses and Elijah showed up? Praying and fasting. See, the cool thing about the Lord is sometimes we don't even understand that the very things we're going through, maybe we were experiencing a spiritual high point. Man, we're having a great devotional time. We're just like on cloud nine with the Lord. This is great. We're just, Lord, you're so good. And we're, we're really enjoying it. And we don't know that as soon as we come out the door, we get hit with some attack from a demon. Something to test our faith. Some trial, you know, where you're like, whoa. It's almost like night and day. It's like you're in the light and then all of a sudden dark just tries to swallow you. It just hits you. Can anyone give an amen? Sometimes I thought, I have to be bipolar spiritually. From one high to one super low. How could they be so close? And yet, this particular passage has really ministered to me that Peter, from Revelations, he said, from my Father in heaven, to revelations from the pit of hell, from Satan himself, just boom, boom, back to back. Jesus, with the Father praying, and well, I think he was pretty close to God. I mean, if you all of a sudden your earthly body was transfigured and all of a sudden you're in a glorified state, I would be like going, I just stay here and skip the rest of the plan. Because wasn't Moses and Elijah comforting him, it says? and strengthening him for what he was about to do. Accomplish, it says in the old King James. He was about to go to the cross for us. And Moses and Elijah are saying, you can do it. 
And he's sitting there going, you know, I think I just stay in this glorified state. Forget it. I ain't going back. He could have done that. The only problem with that is if he would have saved himself, would he be able to save us? No. Because he wouldn't be that lamb of God, that sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. So he had to lay down his life. And I look at this, I think, Lord, even your son, he comes down here, he has this close time with you. And as soon as he gets off that mountain with you, who is there to greet him? I just want to point this out to you. If you don't think that the devil tries to just come and, well, it says he bites at our heels. He's nipping at the ankles, you know, trying to trip you. You just come for this high experience. The Lord comes down off the mountain and the crowds have already been having a go at this with the demon, with Jesus' disciples. Now, that wasn't Peter, James, and John, but remember, there's 12 of them total. There's got the other guys still. The other nine are down there, and they can't cast out this demon out of this boy. But Jesus could. Because I came out of hanging out with guys that were in the satanic occult, so demons were not looked at as not existent. In the Satanist circle, they're real. But in the satanic circle, they don't call them demons. They do sometimes refer to them as fallen angels, just so you know. And you can have one of those fallen angels to be your own personal friend, they call it, who will live inside you and give you powers and make you thrall down and foam at the mouth and have convulsions. And like the guy that we read about that was in the grave stabbing himself and they couldn't bind him with chains because he would just break them and he would gash himself. Demons don't do any favors for their host. They do not. But Jesus comes and sets us free from those things. I just want to assure you, if you're going on the track where you're seeking the Lord and you're having a really great day and then almost like a slap in the face, like the dark side just said, well, they're getting too close. Let me put the brakes on that. Let me do something to them to really rattle their cage. Let me throw a demon in the mix. I know they're going to church on a beach. Oh, show of hands. How many are aware of that we've been greeted here by people with demons right on this beach. We used to drive into the little chain area there. We had one lady standing there with a demon and not moving her lips at all and a voice coming out of her mouth saying, you will not have church here today. And I'm like, yes, we will. Now, they couldn't get rid of the demons because they didn't know about prayer and fasting. There were certain demons that just had a stronghold. And by the way, you never say, I command you get out of them on my own authority. They'll laugh in your face. You're like, who are you? There's a little epistle right near the end of your Bible. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Jude, and then the book of Revelation. This little teeny one-pager. Jude says, don't ever say to them, like the foolish ones, I rebuke you. Instead say, the Lord, the Lord rebuke you. See, Jude picked up on this. Somehow he must have heard the story that they couldn't do it. But he figured it out. Who could get rid of a demon? Jesus. It says there is no name given under heaven that is greater than the name of Jesus. The religious guys didn't even know who was there standing in front of them when Jesus was on this earth. But it's interesting to me that every demon-possessed person that came across Jesus... The first thing their demons do is cry out, what do we have to do with you, 
O Son of God, of the Most High. We know who you are. What are you doing here? Have you come to cast us into the pit before our time? Do you know that they know there's a time coming when they will be judged? And Matthew tells us that hell was made from the time what Satan, Lucifer, another one of his names, the devil, same guy, different monikers he likes to wear. Hell was made from the time that he led a rebellion and a third of the host of heaven followed him and was cast out of heaven down to this earth. And from that day, it said, hell was prepared for them, for their rebellion. Guys, hell was never made for man. It was made for the rebellious angels that would not serve God in their proper abode where God had placed them. But misery loves company. And the devil wants to get as many folks to be miserable with him because he knows. The demons know they're going to be cast into this pit. As soon as Jesus came to this earth, they're like, uh-oh. Son of God, what do we got to do with you? Have you showed up early? They're probably going, oh no, he's early. We thought we had a little more time to rape and pillage and ruin people's lives. And oh darn, here's the son of God, he's here. Did you come to cast us in the pit? You know what we have to remember? There is one who has power beyond all other names. No name greater than the name of Jesus. Now, if you don't believe what I'm saying today, it's okay. I have learned that sometimes the best thing I can do is introduce someone to this truth. And I trust that God is big enough that if I tell them there's no greater name, no greater power under heaven. In fact, if you ever get into trouble, the man who led me to Christ spent a lot of time discipling me in Jesus. He has a fantastic testimony. He was a drummer for this band called the Crayoles, the Crans, back in the 60s. Back east, it was like a popular band. And my friend Bill Elander, who spent so much time teaching me about Jesus, he was the drummer for that band. And this little skinny guy who had a, a station wagon, he was a Christian. They let him hang around with the band. The band was filthy. The guys were just real carnal fellows. But they let this one Christian guy come around and be with him because he was willing to carry all of the equipment in his station wagon and to load it and help him set it up. And They thought, this guy is a Christian, and he keeps saying God loves us, and he's so stupid. He does all the work, and he doesn't ask for anything. And he would tell him, Bill, I know you don't believe me, but someday if you're ever in trouble, the Bible says there is no greater name that we can call upon by which a man must be saved. He said, if you're ever in trouble, you need the Lord to help you. You just call on the name of Jesus. Bill said he mocked the man. He laughed in his face. He just flat out just belittled him for his faith until the day that he died of an overdose. He was a very heavy partier. He, he said, I used to plan my drug trips that one certain group of drugs would get me this high and then that would start to fade and then you can't just reuse the same kind because it doesn't quite have the effect he tells me so you got to learn how to combine with other things and and a little bit more and when that starts to fade you have to switch to this and then and he had it down to where he'd have drug trips for an entire week before the next weekend's performance his goal was to see if he could stay high for an entire week's time. But he said, my mind was so diabolical that I knew once I got into like the second or third day of doing this, that I just get such a craving for all the drugs. I had to be careful 
Because if I could find them, I would take them all. So I would mail myself the packages to arrive, or I'd have a friend. I'd say, you come by on Friday night at 6 o'clock with this. Bring this to me. Or he'd leave himself notes, and he said in that high state, he couldn't solve the riddle until he was starting to come down. And then he'd like, oh, yeah, the clue means to go check the mailbox to get the key to go look underneath the mat to go get the bottle that's hidden behind the bush. He would leave himself clues that he could only solve when he was down just enough, but not all the way down so he could keep on this drug ride. And his testimony was that he did this so well that on the seventh day of tripping, he finally, his heart stopped. The paramedics came there in Connecticut. They put him in the body bag, zipped him up, pronounced him dead, zipped him up. And he laid there for, I think it was an hour and 38 minutes. It was cold. There was a snowstorm. They couldn't just get someone there. He's laying in the living room dead. This will really challenge some people's theology. But in that time, he said that he felt his spirit being pulled out of his body downward. And two demons just cackling, just the most evil, wicked laugh with claws grabbing him and pulling him down saying, we got him now. And he said he could feel himself being descending downward into the depths of the earth. And they were pulling him down. All he could remember was that words of that little roadie guy, that Christian. And he said, if ever, Bill, if ever you're in trouble, remember to call on the name of Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but you're already dead and you're being pulled down out of your body. Your spirit's leaving this. By the way, when you die, will your spirit leave this tent? Yeah. I started off the sermon with describing. Mine's going to upgrade. I'm going up, by the way, not down. I'll leave. My spirit will leave and go in a body made by God. Now, you may not believe me now, but I'm telling you this ahead of time. Because in that state, what he was pronounced dead, laying in a body bag, and his spirit leaving his body, he says that as he was being drugged down, he could just feel this dark darkness. He had never felt anything like that. He didn't even believe in it, he said. He says, funny how it takes sometimes some people literally a death experience to wake up to the realm of the spirit. But in that moment, when he's being drugged down, he hears that roadie's words in his head. Don't forget to call on Jesus. He said, I cried out, Jesus, save me. He said, and that was more like it was hitting him how real darkness was. And if darkness is that real, then conversely, what would be true? The light would be real. And now this will mess with some guy's theology because they said, once you die, it's too late. But he cried out, Jesus, save me. And you know what happened? He said he felt his spirit just be grabbed like a, a being that was light. Just took him and put him back in his body. And he sat up. He's in a body bag. And he sits up. And so the ENT thinks this dude just, you know, had one of those spasms. And he sat up like a frog after it twitches, you know, after his dead. He, he sits up. And so the EMT pushes him to lay him back down. He's in the bag. You know, he can't see. And he pushes him back down, and Bill goes, hey, stop it. He had been dead so long. They're sitting there just talking story, waiting, and they have to unzip the bag, and he's alive. And they're, like, feeling foolish because we already pronounced him dead and time of death and entered it and done all the paperwork, and now what are we going to do? The guy's alive. Ruined the whole day for them. I don't know if there's back-to-life paperwork they have 
But anyway, that was Bill's testimony. You know, sometimes as human, in our understanding, we're very limiting on God's ability. We'll say, well, it can't be done. I don't know. After you die, it's too late. But you know, this really made me realize God is eternal. And his work in people's lives. Man, Bill went on. He came to Arizona, thank God, and served in our little Calvary Chapel there. And that's where I came to the Lord. And he took me under his wing. And, and he knew that I was hanging out with Satanists. And they were offering me a friend to live inside me. That's what they call it. They didn't call it a demon. A fallen angel, yeah, with power. You can have power, man. Let this inside you. They didn't say, let this inside you, and here's what really happens. You become in bondage to this spiritual being that will torment you, that will cause you so much pain. It's like, promise, promise all the good stuff until you fall for the bait. And then after you do, welcome to torment. This poor boy, how long was this happening? He's having these convulsions. He can't speak. He's deaf. He's dumb. He's rolling around, stiffening out. Since he was little, demons have no mercy. Don't be fooled. They're not going to give you anything good. They will destroy you. And if you don't believe me, you don't believe in demons, just if you can hear this, if you ever get to this point, I hope you never, God forbid, you'd ever go this far that you'd have to die till you get to meet one. But if you do, you better remember the sermon today. Just call on the name of Jesus. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
worth doing 